welcome to The Other Coast, a podcast dedicated to the Malifaux meta in Los Angeles. My name is Jeff, and with me here is another player in SoCal meta, Colgan. Hey guys. And sadly, Jim was not available today. We will have to catch up with him another time. Uh, so, anyways, uh, Colgan, I think uh, what we want to talk about today, building a meta. You know, this is primarily directed at newer Malifaux players, but this also may be of interest to you know, sort of a more experienced player who maybe has been out of the game for a while or uh, been looking for a group or, you know, just kind of anyone who generally wants to play more games in Malifaux. Yeah, uh, it's just it's probably good, too, because I know, especially back in like high school and stuff, you know, you start playing a miniature war game with your friends and then it's like, well, you, you want to find a few more people to play with, but you go to like your local game store and like no one really plays. Right. So, you know, like figuring out how to like make your presence known so you can start playing people other than like your best friend. Especially if your best friend is just always better than you. <laughs> <laughs> and and actually another thing that I think happens quite often is, uh, you know, if you're new to the area or you're new to gaming in the area, um, there may actually be established groups. But, you know, you as a, a new player or as an outsider, right, uh, you may not you not, may not be aware if they, they kind of want more players. Right. And, and I mean, I think that's something we're going to cover later too. But like, yeah, if you want to start a meta, like you always have to be willing to like teach new players or like help new people settle in. Because I remember like sometimes, or you know, like there's some groups that are super elitist mm -hmm. and like they just kind of look down on you if you don't know what the fuck you're doing. It's so weird to me because that's the fastest way to kill anything that you enjoy. Right. Like you just actively discourage people from joining so uh let's i guess you know start off with sort of our our what's probably gonna be our shorter section and this is for people who you know they're brand new to malifaux maybe don't even really know anything about what the the game malifaux is they just they saw the miniatures in in the store or you, you know they saw some product in the store and they thought it looked cool uh and they picked up the box and now they'd like to play because this is actually how i started a malifaux you know, I, I remember I was in a game store and I saw a bunch of the, the first ed little crew boxes uh, and I thought the art on, on the crew boxes was really cool. So I picked it up, but no one was really playing near me at the time. So it wasn't super easy to uh, find people. So, you know, Colgan, if you were to find yourself in that in that boat or, you know, if you knew someone, um, you know, what would be and, and, and you couldn't say like, well, hey, come play my group. Uh, what would be your suggestion as, as to how they might start going about finding some people? Um, I, I guess the biggest thing is, you know, you always want to find like some kind of game store or some kind of a like, public place you can meet. Mm -hmm. I know like, you know, when I was looking for groups, there'd be some people like, oh yeah, we play at my house like every Sunday, but it's really awkward, especially if you're new to an area, area just to like show up at someone's house and right. then like, Especially, you can feel like sometimes you're kind of like trapped in there if you don't want to be there, but you're like, well, I committed to this game. Um, so I, I think first of all is like finding a store. Hopefully you can find a hobby store that has like some table space to play at or some kind of neutral space where you can like try and attract players for the game. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, definitely a value of neutral space. I mean, even if you're, you know, even if the place you're going to is, is really nice, you, you know, if it's a private residence and... I think it can be hard to join an established group, right? You know, they have a dynamic. They all know each other. Uh, right. And then you have the, 
you know, you're already trying to learn a game and this is not an easy game. And then you have on top of that, you're trying to navigate, you know, kind of the social dynamics and, you know, you don't want to overstep any bounds as, as a newer person. And yeah, so I mean, I, I think that, I mean, I would agree with you that ideally you would want to start, um, you know, in, in kind of a public place. Yeah. And I think on top of that, you know, uh, I mean, as much as I love the community and, you know, I think everyone's generally like pretty nice and welcoming. I, I feel like in general, like a lot of gamers are not necessarily the best at like picking up social cues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes like that can be a bit of a struggle when you're like trying to join a new group. It's like they're they're not being mean, but like you said, it's hard to kind of just fit into a new dynamic. And if no one's kind of like reaching out to you, it makes it so much more difficult. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's actually something that's always, like, there's a there's a tension there, right? Because gaming is inherently a social activity. You know, mm-hmm. you need someone else uh, to play against. Or, you know, like, role-playing games, you need other players. You need a game master. So, so the social aspect of it is actually quite heavy. Uh, but at the same time, you know, although I, I love gaming and gamers, and, I mean, I definitely think this statement also applies to me, but gamers are, like, fucking weird people. <laughs> And like they're not always weird in compatible ways. Right, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things, too, is, like, what I think it's really helpful in a meta is, like, when you have a few more people and you just have one person walking around to try and, I guess, mediate disputes. Because, I, I mean, with just the nature of miniature games, like, nothing's very exact. There's always a lot of, like, edge cases or, like, weird movement things. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just, like, rules that aren't very clear. Right. And, you know, when you're playing against someone else, again, it's not like anyone has bad intentions, but, like, it's hard to come to, like, a, I guess, reasonable solution when, like, this makes or breaks the game in some cases. So it's nice just having a third person saying, like, no, I think it should be this way because then you can just, all right, like, we'll we'll just play with that and it's fine. Right, right. But, like, when it's just two people... Even though, you know, like, I don't think I've ever been, like, discussing something with someone and I felt like, you know, they're just trying to, like, fuck me over. But there, like you said, there's some kind of, like, tension there that's kind of hard to dissipate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. No, I mean, I, I agree. Uh, you know, it's why events have judges, right? Right. Because if, if for no other reason, too, it provides a, a fast resolution. And mm-hmm. even if you don't agree with the judge, okay, I mean, you can argue about it after the game, but for the moment you know, this is just how we're going to play it. That's probably another benefit to a neutral space too, because the host of a private residence is naturally, I think, going to have a kind of authority yeah, definitely. over the group that's there. Or, you know, like everyone's going to kind of exhibit sort of a deference if, if authority is not right, really the right word. So, uh, I mean, I would agree with you. I think a friendly local game store is, is a really good place to start. And um, here at the other coast, although it's entirely none of our business uh, where you buy stuff or, or what you buy uh, we do like to promote the idea of supporting your local game store mm-hmm. um, so if you play there you know maybe consider paying there right like buy your product through them and sure maybe it's not as cheap as miniature market or whatever but you're helping preserve the game space that you're enjoying right i mean you know it's like as much as i love these games honestly the most important thing for any game is having a healthy meta you could have like the best mini game in the world but if no one plays it it means nothing like it's not very exciting to play games against yourself yeah yeah no i'm with you um so yeah sermon over about supporting your local game store but seriously support your local game store so aside from kind of going into uh uh you know the the corner D shop and saying like hey does anyone play malifo right 
you know, there, there are people who have entirely justified concerns about the various social media platforms, uh, but they have, I think, become quite important in trying to find local gaming opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, A Weird Place is a, a Facebook group. Uh, it's quite active. It's kind of the, the main Malifaux Facebook group. There's also a Facebook group just called Malifaux. You know, the membership largely overacts uh, overlaps with a weird place so i'm not sure why they both exist uh but <laughs> yeah they're not exactly the same so so that is an option and then of course there are uh some apps out there that you know people might be able to use to to find a group uh there's the app that you know we found we found you on uh game for or... oh yeah the game for app yeah yeah uh and 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 you know i'm sure they're like you know, I'm sure there are others. There, there might be meetup groups or, or whatever. So I think if you're a lone player and you're trying to find a group, there are options. Uh, and of course, Weird has that uh, the henchman program. Right, which neither of us are a part of, so we don't know too much about it. <laughs> yeah, and it's not entirely sure if they're still really supporting it. Um, but, you know, for those of you who don't know, in theory, henchmen are kind of local volunteer organizers. I believe there is a list of henchmen on the Weird forums, although... It, I'm sure just like the list of stores that carry Malifaux on the uh, official weird forums, it's incredibly out of date. But, you know, you can always try emailing that person and being like, hey, you know, I just started Malifaux or I mentioned starting Malifaux. Can you point me in the right direction? Yeah. I, I mean, I think another thing, too, that we should add in, you know, considering this is happening during the pandemic and everything, there's a lot of people turning to Vassal now for games. So, like, that can be a great way. Um, I know I've seen a lot of people posting that, you know, they're just starting to get to Malifaux. They want to learn a little bit about the game and, I guess, getting used to Vassal. And, you know, p- posting on a weird place or the Vassal, the Malifaux Vassal Facebook group. I forget exactly what it's called. It's some combination of those words. <laughs> Um, but like, I I know that a lot of people are really willing to help out new players, like get used to the game and like teach them the rules. Uh, Honestly, that's one of the things that I found almost a little bit unique about Malifaux. It seems like there's so many people in the community that are just so willing to take time to demo the game for newer players or just kind of walk them through the basics of the game. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a side effect of, I mean, being, you know, on the scale of gaming, Malifaux and weird are successful but in but in an absolute sense Malifaux is is not very big right and so mm-hmm. it's not like 40k where you can just kind of abuse some rando who comes into the store uh and and be sure of <laughs> you know being able to get a game next week right right players are like soul stones they're a precious resource which brings us to our next topic and and this is from the perspective of someone who is looking to build a Malifaux meta. Maybe they're an experienced Malifaux player and they just want to see more Malifaux in their area. Maybe they are actually brand new to Malifaux, but they, you know, they think the game is cool and they would like to build opportunities to, you know, to play the game. So, you know, what are, what are some of the things that a person in that situation would need? Like, what do you think is kind of uh, one of the most important, one of the most important qualities to have to start out? To start out? Yeah. Patience, I think. Consistency? are probably the two biggest things showing up to a store and like seeing some of the games like yeah if there's like Malifaux on the table I'm like oh people play Malifaux here and you know if the store owner is like with it he's like oh yeah they come in like every Wednesday or every Friday um at six and they play some games and you can just stop by they're willing to run demo games as opposed to oh yeah there's guys that come in every once in a while like maybe you could contact them if you come in like you might run into them 
right? Like, mm-hmm. if if this is something, like, if you're not already invested in the game, that's another hurdle that you have to go through that you might not necessarily want to jump through. And you might go for, like, you know, a more established game. Like you are saying, like, 40K, you know, Games Workshop, like, there's so many people. It's much easier to, like, walk into any hobby store and just find people already throwing down 40K. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely agree with you. I think there's a lot of value when you're trying to build a community in just, uh, you know, other other prospective players having that assurance that if they make the trip down to the store, it's not going to be for nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the fact is, you know, people have options with their time, right? If they go through the effort to, to come and you're not there... You know, it's not necessarily they're going to be like, oh, this jerk just wasted all my time. Uh, but it's, right. it's going to, it's gonna, you know, maybe be what stops them from showing up to see if there's a game next time. Especially with hobbies like wargaming, it demands so much time. Even just getting to the point where you can play a game is already like maybe 10, 20 hours of work minimum, depending on, you know, what game you're playing or if you're going to paint your models. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I would agree with you definitely. If you're looking to organize, you really want to set a consistent schedule, and that means you need to commit uh, to being there, and you have to realize that's going to mean, you know, there are going to be nights or afternoons, whatever your schedule is. There's going to be times when it's just you in an empty chair, you know, kind of twiddling your thumbs on your phone or, you know, talking to the magic players who are in the store or whatever, (laughs) and I think you just have to be okay with that, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Bring a book or something else to do. Have like a backup plan. Because <laughs> um, yeah, like when, when you first start out, no one's going to know about it. And you just have to be consistent because, you know, when that person does show up, you got to be kind of ready. Yeah. Since you're kind of the leader of our local meta. I mean, I would imagine that once you start hitting a couple people, that it gets kind of easier because, you know, there's always going to be people there. And then you don't, at, at some point, you don't necessarily have to be the one showing up every single time. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's definitely true, especially people are creatures of habit and if they if if it becomes part of their life routine that tuesday at six o'clock they're at this place doing this thing the activity kind of acquires its own momentum yeah and then you know the game lane thing becomes less of an issue because you know they've already blocked out this time and they know that they're going to get a game so once it's in their schedule it's okay right now like this next part i mean it it can be kind of a, a delicate matter but i think um you know, one of the things you have to realize is that if you are looking to build a meta, that means you're probably going to need to feel comfortable a- approaching people you don't know, right? At our store, quite frequently, we'll have we'll have our meta, our Malifaux game day, and we'll be playing Malifaux, and uh, people who are in store for other things, or people who are in store just to like browse other product or whatever, uh, they might come by and show a little interest. I think that's that's probably a real opportunity to maybe get a potential person to try a demo right yeah definitely so then that's i guess that's how we're going to segue into talking about actually running demos and what do you do when you have someone interested but knows nothing about the game (laughs) yeah uh so malavo is not the easiest game in the world to play like the basic the basic rules are quite simple because everyone's pretty familiar with kind of a standard deck of cards uh and and the resolution system I mean, it is fast, it is direct, it's not hard to understand, but Malfo has so many interactions that it can be complicated. So I think the first thing you really need to do uh, if you want to build the meta is your homework, right? If you want to be there 
giving demos, I think you have a particular responsibility to uh, take the extra effort to be familiar with the rules. Yeah, definitely. Because the, the demo experience is really important. Um, one of the unfortunate aspects is like, I mean, you can do a lot of preparation for it, but it's not until you run through a couple of demos that you're really going to find your stride and figure out what actually keeps people interested. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's something that can be really discouraging, especially if you've never tried to start a meta before. The first few demos you run, you're going to miss stuff. You might um, focus too much on explaining the rules over just getting people like moving models around and fighting and really selling the interesting parts of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing to keep in mind is when you're doing a demo game, you're not trying to like instill the person you're teaching with complete knowledge of the rules and like being able to understand every situation right it's not like a feasible thing to do yeah i mean it would be probably a terrible idea to set someone up on a full 50 stone game with strats and scheme (laughs) pools and then make Uh... them (laughs) Uh, the trauma I mean, I think, it, yeah, you know, in retrospect, that was probably not the right way to introduce you to the game. And and because we had that experience, I, I mean, you were too polite to say anything. So it's not like we realized, <laughs> oh, this guy had a rough time in his first game. Maybe we need to pare it down. But no, I mean, yeah, you're right. The goal of a demo is to teach the basic rules of the game, right? It's not to, right. you know, it's not to pretend that you're giving the full experience and it's not to you know, maybe play according to whatever the standard rules may be, or, you know, the standard scale, I guess we should say, maybe. Right. But yeah, it's to provide an experience that I think gives a flavor of what playing the full game is like. And, you know, it teaches the the way you do the things in the game. And I think they'll be able to determine if, if it's a game for them. Right. And I think that's something important to remember, too. It's like, even if you give like a great demo, like some people just aren't going to like Malifaux, like it's just not going to be for them. Mm-hmm. And you know, like you were saying, the point isn't to um, run the like, most standard scenario that they're going to play through, like it's fine to tweak rules or drop things for a demo, because really, you're, you're trying to sell them on the charm of this game. And as much as I do like Malifaux, it's not like you're going to get someone super interested by the fact that, oh man, they have a very detailed timing sequence for when there's <laughs> an issue with the rules. Like no one cares about that when they're playing a game. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, uh, you know, I think Malifaux provides a play experience that is uh, somewhat unique compared to 40K or, or what, like, just the fact that you're using cards to resolve things is instantly a different experience. Right. But it, it also is going to be an experience that doesn't appeal to some people. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, since we're talking about how important the demo thing is, I, I guess we could talk a little bit about what we think are kind of like the cornerstones of giving a good demo. So, like you were mentioning, I think knowing the rules is definitely good because if you're if you get into a lot of like awkward pauses during the demo where you're not sure what you're actually supposed to do, it can be kind of off. Um, but you know, even with all the prep, like there's going to be a lot of scenarios that you run into that, you know, you're just not going to remember the rules. And I think in those cases, you just kind of got to power through and like act like you know what the rule is. And then you just check it later. You you never want to stop a demo to check, check a rule. And the the nice thing about the demo is like, you're not trying to win. right? Right. So like, if I don't know a rule, I will just always side in favor of whoever I'm demoing to, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like an easy resolution. I'm like, who does this benefit the most? 
and then you'll just go with that, and then you can check the rules later. Yeah, uh, I know I've heard it said that there's never been a game of Malifaux played where there wasn't a rules error somewhere, right? Right, if right. I mean, Malifaux is, is it's a reasonably complex game. There's a lot of interactions, uh, and, and mistakes are, are going to happen, and especially... Uh, you know, I go. I know this kind of goes against what I was saying about game length, but you know, when you're giving a demo, you, you don't want the other person sitting around while you're fumbling with the rule book, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, another good point. You don't want them sitting around while you're fooling with other things too. So even though the app has, you know, all the unit cards or whatever, my suggestion would be that if you're doing a demo, you want physical cards. I mean, I would even say that you probably you'd be well advised to have some counters. You know, mm-hmm. anything that you can quickly represent in a visual manner that's going to be clear to the other player you know to the to the new player you're trying to teach instead of tracking conditions on the app and you know using the app to track wounds or whatever Mm -hmm. i just i think you're much better off that way yeah and and on that note i i know i've seen some suggestions where people will be like oh it's nice to have like a variety of demo crews so you're able to like kind of give people what interests them personally from i guess my own horrible experience (laughs) and just like my experience like demoing in general I, i think it's much better to have a set crew where you know the ins and outs of it um so i guess like hearkening back in case it wasn't clear my first demo experience with Malifaux was playing against Jim with Jeff overlooking and they set me up with a 50 stone crew and every model was unique in that crew they're like seven or eight guys <laughs> and um you know like Jim knew what his guys did but he didn't really know what my guys did right and Jeff wasn't super familiar either so there I was like fumbling through cards like trying to read the abilities and figure out my actions while Jim's sitting across the table like you know like he wasn't mean or anything but like I'm sitting there I'm like I don't have time to read this shit and try and process like what the fuck I'm supposed to do you just hear like the Jeopardy song in your in your soul as as his icy glare bores into you. Right, right. But it's like, I'll like, I'll move up this guy. And then he's like, oh, now that you moved up, you know, like this will trigger. It's like, this will trigger and this will trigger. And like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, you have to flip a card. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll flip a card. Like, it, it's very overwhelming for, for the newer player. So you want to make sure that you know what their guys do and what your guys do so that when they do something, you can remind them the things that benefit them. Right. For me personally, I like to run just with the starter boxes because you have three minions that have the exact same ability. Mm-hmm. So honestly, like for, for most crews, they only really have to learn like three cards worth of information. Well, right. I guess four. You got the minions, the master, the totem, and usually the henchmen. Mm-hmm. And like that's a lot easier to process. And then you're also there to help them out. I think at the beginning, you know, you're kind of like helping them along, like giving them the better idea, but it's a sign of a successful demo when like by turn two or three, they're moving on their own. They know what, when duels should be started, you know, they know what abilities their guys have and they're making decisions on their own without you having to like chime in every few seconds. Right. No, I mean, I, I agree with that. And, you know, um, to me, it's kind of come about that you definitely want people who are doing demos to feel agency, right? To feel that they... Mm-hmm. You know, they're making decisions about things, right? You don't want to play the demo for them. Right. But even though you want them to have agency, you don't necessarily want them to have options, right? Like, you know, saying, oh, well, which crew would you like to play? Here's here's my 20 crews and here's kind of what they do or whatever. Right. Or, you know, in, in your example, when you're playing a full game, it's like, okay, well, pick two of these schemes. You know, these are all things that they are important to the game. And maybe there are some people who just would prefer to learn a full game and if that if that's their thing you know that's that's fine but 
mm-hmm. in, in my experience, I've really found that having as many of these factors preset as possible has made it much smoother. You're basically running like a commercial. Right. You just want to highlight the good points of it because, you know, again, like a lot of these times too, like you were mentioning, these demos will happen when there's people in the store and we're just grabbing random people that are watching the game, right? Mm-hmm. If you, you know, you want to make sure that the demo process is quick and you're getting to the fun as quick as fast as possible because, you know, some of these people, they only have maybe like half an hour to an hour worth of time. Mm-hmm. And if you're eating up like 30 minutes just explaining the rules and not having them move guys around or like kill things or like, you know, scoring points and stuff like that, you're going to lose them. Right. No, I mean, I totally agree. And actually, that brings me to something that I do when I teach games, which I I mean, I think is maybe controversial is the wrong word, but there are going to be people who disagree with this with this approach. And if it's not for you, you know, no problem. But when I teach games, whether it's Malifaux or, you know, really any game, I'm kind of up front before we start playing. I'm only going to teach the bare minimum we need to actually play. Uh, and, and then, you know, I'll teach as things as things go on, you know, I'll clarify what's going on when something happens. Uh, and as a consequence, you know, there are going to be times when you're like, oh, geez, you know, I wish I wish I'd known that because last turn, you know, maybe I would have done something different or whatever. Right. But one, you know, winning a demo game isn't really you know that's not the point mm-hmm. so you know I, I don't think really anyone should care about whether they won their demo game but for another i think that like the small amount of regret you might get in those situations from a player uh, is more than outweighed by just them being able to to jump in and move models around and you know make flips to to do damage or whatever uh, rather than getting like a 15 or 20 minute rules spiel at the start which they're not really going to retain anyways right. i guess this also kind of goes like you're saying like some people might just want the full game off from the start but i think those are definitely the exception and the people that feel that strongly about it like they'll they'll let you know so i think when you're running the demo yeah you're not going to give them a full rundown of the rules because like you're not going to be invested in the rules unless you're invested into the game, right? Right. If you don't like the base experience of Malifaux, like, there's no way in hell you're going to, like, dig through all of these forum posts to, like, figure out the exact ruling on the interaction between this ability versus another model's ability, right? (laughs) Even though it's a demo game, like, those situations can definitely come up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I don't know the answer, but maybe if the player knew that it would be, you know, it wouldn't be beneficial for them to do this exact action when there is like some higher level strategy that comes later. Like, you're not playing a demo game to try and show off that you're the fucking best person at any game <laughs> you ever touch, right? You want to get them to like the chewy nougaty center of Malifaux as quickly as possible. You need them to know whether or not they'll like this game. And that's going to decide whether or not they're going to invest the time to like get into all the hairy and less clear aspects of Malifaux. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head uh, when you said it, it's a commercial, right? You, you know, you are presenting Malifaux in kind of the best light possible, right? Like the sun is always shining. Everyone's always having fun, right? You want to minimize obstacles. You want to make it as easy as possible for someone to play. And also as easy as possible to say, you know, no thanks or, or to walk away. Mm-hmm. People need to feel comfortable. They need, again, they need agency, not just in the game, but in life. Right. So, yeah, you know, I think having your setup, you know, being as 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 solid on the rules as you reasonably can, having, you know, the physical components. And then also, I mean, and this is, 
you know, this can be awkward in to talk about, especially in gaming, but you yourself want to be a presentable person, yeah. right? Like, you know, make sure you got some, some chewing gum or, you know, make sure, make, make sure the environment is a welcoming. Right. One. You know, as far as we're talking about external things as well, you know, having painted crews is super important. I think, um, I, I feel yeah. like it, it's very important. <laughs> It's the most important thing, in fact. Scratch everything else we said. <laughs> hey, you came back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've played with Painted Cruise, even though it was a fifty-point game. <laughs> uh, did you? I thought you. I. I see. When you say the Vix, I thought we would have set you up with my Vix crew, which I know is just primed. That was the original plan, but um, we the store. I borrowed the store oh. Vix, and I think I borrowed some of Jim's to like fill out the crew. That's right. Curtis has, uh, I think, a Vix crew that he's you know he painted pretty well. Yeah, I, I broke one of them off at the base, but we, we fixed that. So Oh, but good. you did use my Vanessa. I do remember that now. And she's only primed. Yes. Oh, is that? So okay, then. okay. Fine. The majority the majority of my crew is painted. But no, I mean, I think that is well taken. Uh, you do want, uh, I mean, I do think a painted crew probably makes for a better visual experience. And you don't have to be, you know, like freaking Botticelli uh, or, or anything. Um, you know, GW's got those contrast paints, those those. I mean, produce perfectly fine figures. And I think also uh, terrain is a consistently overlooked um, visual aspect. I mean, you can just play with, with any old thing. When when my brother and I were playing 40K as kids, we used tin cans or, you know, styrofoam from from packages or whatever. And, and obviously the most important thing is the game. You can do that. But I think if you are kind of interested in in grabbing someone's attention as they walk by having a nicely set table is going to help you do that yeah i mean again it's a commercial you know appearances matter like if you're playing with like i guess tin cans and like toilet paper rolls as terrain with a bunch of like gray models like you're not going to attract as much attention as you know if you have like nice terrain and painted models they don't even need to be painted really well like tabletop quality is maybe like a base and like maybe some edge highlights Uh uh-huh yeah, well, I mean, you heard it here, folks. Colgan is just super shallow and all about appearances. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but your point is well taken. You're trying to set a an experience, and the visuals are part of that experience. We don't do this at, at the store because, I mean, we're not the only people there or whatever, but actually... I have a Malifaux uh, Spotify playlist. Wait, seriously? Uh, I'll actually share the link in the, yeah, in the episode, the show notes. Uh, because I run through the breach. Oh, okay, okay, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we actually, whenever we play RPGs, we, we have background music. Um, you, you know, like D&D, we have sort of like epic Lord of the Rings type music or whatever. Sorry, it just, it's just great that you have like a Malifaux playlist just like set and ready to go for these demos that like <laughs> no one has ever heard. <laughs> well okay i mean to be fair it's for the rpg that i run i just can multi-purpose it, right? it's not like i've been sitting at home in my spotify curating this 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 epicurean list of early pre-jazz classics and just waiting for the opportunity <laughs> Uh, yeah so okay so anyways i mean i think we talked enough about setting the experience but again just you know do your best to, to make the experience as memorable and as enjoyable as possible uh now part of you know earlier when you were saying uh you know don't get bogged down in, in the rules i think one way that you can really kind of contour uh the the game experience is to uh have demo crews that you yourself are really comfortable with right mm. 
Um, so, like, what would you kind of suggest in, in terms of, like, the, the characteristics of a good demo crew? You know, this was actually happening recently when I was playing a demo game. But uh, you want to make sure they're very straightforward. And, like, I guess if anyone's familiar with Magic the Gathering, you never want one of the crews to be, like, a blue deck. You don't want them to be, like, a control master that just says the other person cannot do things. Right. Um, Because, you know, it's not necessarily that, like, oh, this is overpowered and stuff like that. It's more that... Although it is. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Even if it is. But you don't want to be playing a game and trying to teach someone the rules and, like, half the time you're like, oh, that thing I told you um my master just makes it impossible to do like please don't run molly as a demo crew like that's just oppressive like oh um anytime you do an action more than once you're just going to take damage yeah and it's like okay so you just need to remember all these different actions and not to repeat anything even though it might be the most sensible thing to do in this scenario right yeah i mean i want to be clear this was not this was not Patrick's demo, okay? But like <laughs> Patrick's first fifty stone game, I played Daw. You know, if it's not if it's outside of a demo game, I think it's okay. But um, for demo games, like yeah, definitely don't run masters like Jack Daw that punish players for like existing in the wrong space. Like aggressive crews are fine, but you want to make sure it's balanced to a point, right? Like you don't want to be playing the Vix against a newer player and then just like wiping their models off the board. Because again, the objective of the game is to teach them how to play. And if you're removing their guys like turn one, like they're not learning anything. Yeah. uh, At this point, we want to shout out to a player in our local meta, Kevin, who did that uh during a demo a crew box demo uh where he played the vix and he was teaching the game to someone else and you know what <laughs> we haven't seen that <laughs> so but actually we know why we haven't seen him it's because he's he's waiting for the yan low core box to come out so i mean i do see him around the store but um yeah so, so don't do that don't don't have the vix as one of your uh, crews and, and so this again comes to having an understanding of the rules as as the person doing the demo right because you very well may do this on accident you might have picked crews um that visually seemed cool or you, you know their their sort of shtick appealed to you and then it turns out not maybe to be the best demo experience so the more you know the rules and the more you're familiar with the models which you know, someone tells me the app is free. It, it's gonna, it's gonna help avoid some of these negative experiences. Yeah, definitely. And, and I guess for that, like, I guess we can give our suggestions. So, um, for the demo crews, like, I, you know, like we were saying, how we don't really give the person a choice because mm-hmm. it's just quicker and easier, and like, it's you, you know, you can't get someone up and running with like a jack dog crew in like 10 minutes right right it's not something you can explain succinctly so you know with us we will always run bass for you know we'll have them run bass because you know his rules are very simple to understand and you know his um keyword ability makes it so you just ignore severe terrain yeah and i mean i think uh you know they have a visual that's easy to explain Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's going to appeal to a lot of people. Right? These are lawmen and frontiers people with shotguns. I mean, that's cool. Right. Uh, from a rule standpoint, like you said, they, they are straightforward. They, the models, um, they're they're kind of effective in all situations. Right. Everyone right. has a gun and everyone has a melee attack, uh, except for, mm-hmm. you know, Bernadette doesn't have a gun, but she's got a I mean, even she has a ranged attack. 
Um, and everyone has a bonus action, which can be really important in trying to teach people to remember that bonus actions are a thing. Right, yeah, that's one of the nice things about Bass's box crew is that everyone has a bonus action that you can take at any time. It's not conditional like a lot of other bonus actions for some other crews. Mm -hmm. And it, it's nice because you can kind of teach them, teach them these little tricks because, you know, the Frontiersmen have the follow my path ability. So it's like, oh, you charge and engage one of their guys. It's like, oh, just remember that with your bonus action, you can actually just pull them out with, you know, out having to activate them and take a disengage action. Right. So you can teach them little things like that. And I feel like within the context of Bass, it's not really overwhelming. They can focus on the basics and these things that apply to every crew um, that they might play after that. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I think Bass is, you know, probably the single best crew for, for demos. So, I mean, does that mean that you would recommend a, a you know, a mirror match, like a Bass versus Bass thing, is, and that's just what you should do for your demos? <laughs> yeah, I definitely wouldn't um, recommend having, like, mirror matches because, again, if you're trying to show what's so unique about Malifaux, you don't want them to be playing the exact carbon copy of their crew. Mm hmm like you want to show the different interactions and how different things can play. But on that note, you know, as the person giving the demo, you have a lot more leeway, I think. You can play like more technically complicated crews um, as long as you understand them and you make sure that it's not oppressive on the enemy crew like Jackdaw or Molly. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if she's necessarily like the best one to play against, but I would run Mei Fang a lot uh, in demos just because her mechanics are fairly easy and being able to show like kind of rail walking as a mechanic for another crew and like show them like how different two crews can be, I think is really nice. Right. The, the nice thing about Mei Fang is in order to like play her competitively, you have to take advantage of a lot of these like little interactions. And as the demo, like you don't have to like abuse those things. You can just run her as like a straight beater and like not take advantage of the pushing or positioning or like comboing stuff just to like, you know, bring down your power level a little more organically. Right. Yeah. I mean, which isn't to say like, oh, we want the demoer or the demoe to enjoy the game. So just let them win. I mean, that's not what we're saying at all. Actually, like, through happenstance, I think I end up winning most of the demos, even though I'm, I am not really trying to. Um, sure. But that, I mean, that. <laughs> Gotta uh, pump up those numbers somehow, right? Yeah. Well, now that Tyler's keeping all the stats, it's like there's so much <laughs> pressure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think your point is well taken in that, I mean, not just for power level purposes, but also for speed of play purposes or for, you know, for clarity purposes, you know, maybe, you know, in a full game, yes, you will be maximizing all these, all these movement tricks because also what you're trying to do is more complicated and you know kind of you're you're trying to work in more denial against your opponent or whatever and and those things they also naturally take time whereas in a demo you know that the need isn't as pressing so maybe you don't do it one to make the game a little bit easier for the other person to to do well in also just so that they can follow what's going on and maybe to speed up play a little bit right so i i'm right there with you and i think one nice thing that may fang does because it's not like we always say oh if you're new, you have to play Bass. In fact, from what I've seen and, and from what I do myself, I tend to have the two demo crews and I'm comfortable, you know, the crews I've selected, I'm comfortable if the new player plays either one of them, right? And I've seen the new player play Mei Fang instead of Bass, right? So, but one of the things I think Mei Fang does well is she demonstrates that you not only can, but sometimes want to 
attack your own models, uh, which is a pretty unique thing to Malifaux. Yeah, the rail worker is just, oh, I just run up and like throw my guys forward. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I've, I've seen you do the, the Bass versus May demo. I think that, that works really well. I tend to use Sonya or, or Kairos. I would prefer Sonya because Kairos is, her box is a little cheaper in terms of soul stones, which uh, again, it's not that balance matters from the point of view of who wins. Who wins these demo games is irrelevant, but you want to give the impression that the game is balanced, right? And 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 so if one crew is much more expensive in terms of soul stones than another, uh, presumably they're going to have an advantage, right? So Titania with her with her seven stone minions may not be the best demo choice just because of the power that those models have. So I will run Sonya or or Kairos because I think you know they're kind of like what you're saying with Mayfang. It's a different play experience. You get to introduce conditions, which are a really important aspect of the game, but aren't you know as as present in in a Mayfang versus Bass matchup. Right. The nice thing I think about any of these other crews with Bass is that they all have different play experiences and they all have different visuals. But from a rule standpoint, they're all pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I, I think for me, I guess I would probably stray a little bit away from Karis just because I think the pyre markers and like dealing with that can be a little difficult for a demo game. Mm-hmm. Um, like I try to avoid anything that will kind of, I guess, change the battlefield or like force them not to take certain actions as much as possible no i mean that makes sense and i i think that's a good position one of the one of the reasons why i like Karis, i think is because you know bass can ignore so much terrain that it might give the feeling of like well what you know what's the point of the terrain right or yeah and, and terrain is actually a really important part of malifaux so i actually find you know the pyre markers introduce a useful element to be like yeah you know, you can move through this forest, that's fine, but this little spot that's on fire, you know, it's pro- more problematic for you. So a lot of people are drawn to Malfoy because of the aesthetics, but some of the kind of most iconic characters might provide a, a play experience that, that's a little challenging for a demo. So for instance, would you suggest someone did the Dreamer? In general, so the Dreamer is, you know, one of the many summoning masters. So for a demo, I would mm-hmm. never run a summoning master. You want smaller games, and at smaller games, the p- extra power you get from summoning is pretty overwhelming. And you know, even if the even if the person running or the person that you're demoing to, if they're the ones that are playing the summoning master, it also just adds this like extra decision tree. Like, oh, now you're going to summon in extra models, and you have to figure out where to place them and how they work, and like all these other conditions and all these other rules that you have to explain before you can even get to the point um, where you're actually just playing the game. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. And so it is, I I mean, I don't want to say pushback, but if someone comes to you and they have the Dreamer box and they want to play it, well, I mean, look, enthusiasm is kind of the most important resource that you can you can have in, in, in a player for a meta, right? So you definitely don't want to shut that down and be so rigid that like, well, no, I have this demo experience, I've worked out it, it, right because the demos it's for the point of the other person it's not for not for you right so if if someone is like hey i want to play dreamer i'm sure you would agree with this I, I i don't mean to say this as like a counterpoint to you you know if someone really has their heart set on something i think you should you should find a way to move to yes 
Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't say, well, I mean, yes, we can definitely do that, but here's something that you, sh you should be aware of. And, you know, maybe it might even be possible to do two demos, right? Like you might rack a, a Mayfang versus Bass game and then only play out like a turn or something or, a turn, you know, a turn and a half in order to teach the basic mechanics and then be like, mm -hmm. okay, I mean, how are you doing? Would you like to finish this game? Or, you know, maybe we could now set up a Dreamer and you can kind of see the difference. And, and that might be one way to still meet someone's expectations but provide what's probably going to be a smoother experience uh, i mean I, I would actually just add a caveat to like all this stuff like as much as we talk about good demo crews and stuff like that if someone shows up with the crew already and they're like oh i haven't played a game of malifaux yet but i have this crew can we run through a demo game like yeah, just run through the demo game with whichever crew they brought. Like you said, like enthusiasm is something you want to take advantage of because they've already bought into the game and hopefully they, you know, they bought this master because they liked the way they looked or they're invested in learning with them. And I think, yeah, definitely take that because the whole point of the demo is to try and build interest in the game. If they already have that interest, use that, right? right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we probably covered demos pretty well for, for now. So let's let's talk kind of quickly about community building right and and the first point uh that we already touched on is consistency have a have a clear schedule and be consistent and again if you're the person who's kind of taking the responsibility to uh you know to organize things understand that means sometimes you're just going to be twiddling your thumbs but you you got to do it uh so that's that's first second i think you know, it's probably important to get the word out, right? Like, if I want to post on these social media things that we mentioned, new players might might look at to try to find groups. If you're a group trying to find a player, uh, the opposite works, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely just getting it known that you're meeting, like, you know, oh, we'll meet here, like, every Tuesday at 6, and then just, like, have some contact information so people can check yeah. with you. Because, you know, like, there's a, there's a lot of times where people just post these messages and forget about it. And then, you know, they want to make sure that there's actually someone on the other side if they show yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, totally. And I actually, I, I remember when I was, when, you know, we were trying to build the the meta in, in early days. And I, you know, I'd be posting it on, on Facebook. I'd be posting on, on the, the Malfo subreddit or whatever. And, and weeks were going by and maybe get someone once in a while. But for the most part, I didn't really get anyone. And I, I remember very clearly after I posted uh, on, on Reddit, about an hour later, someone in Michigan was like, yeah, I live in like Southwest Michigan. Does anyone play Malifaux? And, and within an hour, there were 12 responses to his post being like, yeah, we play here, we play there. Uh, and, and so what I'm saying is geography is destiny, right? Like gaming is different back East and, and Midwest uh, than it is out here in California. And, and especially, you, you know, in these urban areas where travel is just such a pain it can be hard to get anyone to to make a trip. I mean, I think that, again, just goes to the, the consistency element too. If knowing that experience is not great, you, you know, it's not fun to, to be on 405. It, it just underlines that you have to do everything you can to be consistent and to provide the easiest, funnest experience you reasonably can. So what's, what's your feeling on events, tournaments, or... Um, uh, like seasonal events do, do you think those this help build a meta um I, I definitely think they do you know it's a good way to kind of like draw in people and put out the word and let them know that you're playing this game and that there's enough people to even run a tournament one of the things you have to 
keep in mind though is like what is the purpose of this tournament right because I, I think what you did with the last tournament Jeff was really good is having like a raffle prize pool so that just for participating you get something mm-hmm. out of it mm-hmm. um, whereas like if you're running a super competitive tournament which is fine but you just have to realize you're going to attract experienced players you're not going to get the person that just picked up the crew box and a few other models and has played maybe one or two games because just jumping straight into a tournament setting where they're expected to like you know finish these games in like two hours like know the rules and like playing with other people that are there to like try and get on the podium and get that top prize or like get that recognition it could be a very negative play experience for them if they even show up at all yeah and i mean i think also you know, kind of what you're saying about understand the kind of events you want, communicating the kind of event you're running is also quite important, right? Because if, if, if you're, you know, it's all well and good to know in your mind that you're setting up the world championship, but if you just, you know, if, if you don't communicate those expectations to, to people, you may get people, you know, you may get the newer players who show up and then get totally stomped and have no fun or, you know, vice versa. If this is meant to be for newer players, but you might get someone who's expecting people who have a certain proficiency in the rules. And if they don't get that experience, they can get frustrated with the event also. Yeah, it's important to be upfront with what your expectations are and how the tournament is going to be run. Because you might be worried that like, oh, if I spell it out this much, certain people might not come. But I think it's better to like set the expectations for the event before it goes off. So you don't have this mismatch between the event you created and what people are expecting. Because that's going, if you're trying to build a meta, that's going to hurt you a lot more in the long run. Do you think it's helpful to... uh... I mean, I don't want to use the word event again, but I can't think of a better word at this moment, so I'm going to, you know, have like events that sort of shape the the play experience for a certain period of time, like a monthly event where everyone plays Rezzers or, you know, something something like that, where you're trying to maybe provide a different play experience or, you know, provide incentive for people to, to try something else or... Um, I, I guess it's really hard to say one way or another, because I feel like at the point you're doing events like that, you already have an established mm-hmm. meta. I mean, you know, like our favorite phrase, like it it depends, like talk to your players, like see what they like, see if they would be interested, try and gauge some interest. And and yeah, it's, you know, like not necessarily everyone's going to be forthcoming, but if you have a group of people that play consistently, then you start to get a feel for like what they like, or I guess the general mood Mm -hmm. of the group, right? So if you have a hyper competitive group running like a resers only thing, like might not be the greatest idea because they're like, no, I want to pick you know the best faction and the best master for anything that we play right or i don't want to play resers or i i don't want to buy a new crew for this thing right right on the other hand you know they've been playing for a while it's like you could have some kind of like new faction thing where everyone just starts a new master and a new faction to just kind of like refresh everyone if everyone's kind of like stuck in that rut of just playing like the same three or four masters that they've been playing since the beginning of time yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree. And, and your your advice that be aware of the, the temperature of the group is probably the, the best way to go, right? Especially because I think, you know, if you're the organizer and other people um, have come to, you know, maybe appreciate your, your efforts a little bit, um, if you propose something that they're not going to be super interested in, 
they, you know, they, they might just go along, I mean, out of out of politeness or, or not to be difficult or whatever. So, I mean, I do think that there's a lot of value in, in trying to suss out what people are interested in. And also, you know, if you do do something to kind of look back and see what the participation rate was like and if it, it didn't really meet your, your goals, maybe it's because it wasn't the right event for your group. Yeah, ga- gauging the temperature is important, but like, yeah, sometimes, you know, just try out new things and they might not work out well or they might lead to things you don't expect. Because in our meta, we actually did that, what, like new fa- new master, mm-hmm. like new year, new master thing. Mm-hmm. And that somehow transformed into cataloging like the win, you know, basically um, cataloging all of our games and getting together like this huge public site where we just show data from like wins, losses of masters and factions within our meta. Right. That's like... I'm I'm like 99% sure you weren't thinking about this <laughs> in the long run. <laughs> well, no, I mean, Tyler hadn't even joined at that point, right? So, uh, yeah, although, um, so actually this leads us into our next topic, and this is how to grow the group when you're not actually at the table, right? Because there are things you can do, I think, to increase engagement or increase investment mm-hmm. uh, away from games, and it can also help it can help people who can't make games as regularly contribute to the group or, you know, feel still feel attached to the group. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, on that note, I think like probably one of the most helpful things for our local meta is just actually having the, our discord chat at the local store, because, you know, a lot of people, they go by the store when, you know, it's not a game night for Malifaux. And then, you know, Mike, the store owner can just be like, Oh yeah. You know, if you're interested in Malifaux, like you can just join the discord and just, talk to everyone that's there and then you know we'll have people set up days outside of like our dedicated Malifo game days just to play games or just help out new players like figuring out like oh like which masters should they play or like what things or what resources can they look at to get started and it's like you know very responsive and very tailored and I feel like it's very different being in a discord chat at a local store where you can actually like go and meet these people in person mm-hmm. versus just being on like Facebook or on the forums and only ever kind of interacting in that digital space. Yeah. And I mean, to circle back to kind of the friendly local game store, that uh, subject we talked about earlier, um, you know, there's, I think a lot of value in, in uh, trying to build a relationship with the store itself. I mean, you're there, you're there to play, you enjoy the space. Uh, you should be cons- not considerate, but I mean, not just considerate of the, the people there. You should be friendly and respectful, right? And because we have this positive dynamic with the store, Mike, the store owner, is comfortable recommending us to customers who come in uh, who buy Malifaux and, and they don't even know about us, right? And he says, well, look, there's these people who play. These are the days they're in here. And if he thought we were, you know, a bunch of jerks, he wouldn't do that. Yeah. And I mean, on that note, that's why, again, why it's like important, like if you want people to play with, if you want that public space that, yeah, you definitely want to support the store because if you grow a big enough meta, if you have enough people playing, like everyone's going to buy more product, your group will grow, the store will grow and it's just great for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. So uh, I guess kind of the last topic I want to hit on is, so you've been playing and you've been playing for a while. Uh, and I think, you know, most groups will find that uh, players will kind of break off into like three orbits, right? There's the the reliable, consistent people who like either because of scheduling or their interest or, you know, both are able to be there, you know, most if not every time. And then there's, you know, the people 
like the regulars, right? They, they make it a good percent of the time, maybe like half to two thirds of the time, but they're not, you know, maybe they're not as competitive or maybe they're not as invested or maybe they're just not as available. And then there's kind of like this, the like sort of an outer orbit of players who are uh, like maybe Malifaux would never be their first choice, but they're happy enough to play it if something's going on or they're very rarely available. So you're, you're you know, you're going to get players with different investment levels uh, and, and different activity levels. And I think that's fine, right? I mean, I, I don't think everyone has to be playing the game for the same reasons or at, at the same level of commitment. Um, yeah, so I think actually having a varied group of players is actually really good. Like, for example, I think one of the things that I enjoy the most about our meta is that there's people that love the hobbying aspect of it. So I get to see like these beautifully painted miniatures or people that are like, they, they just want to make terrain for the games, which is like great for me because like I, I don't want to make terrain. I, I want to play the game. I want to like talk about like what I think is strong or like Thank theory you, craft, like all this Thank stuff. Thank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's great because like you kind of see this hobbying aspect and it's great to have all those different perspectives. Like, you know, we've mentioned Tyler a couple of times in this podcast, but like he's really into the data stuff. It's like, more ways to get involved with the group without actually you know showing up and playing the game that still helps everyone out and it's just it's nice because it gives you things to talk about outside of just being across from each other at the table right yeah and actually you know when it comes to to tyler and his data platform which is awesome and i you know i I find myself actually just kind of browsing it uh from time to time just to kind of poke around uh it it's sort of this last thing i want to underline and if you've kind of started a group uh and it's gone for a while and it's grown a bit you know what that uh, it's great that you did that i mean that's fantastic and if people have have been appreciative or or you know said good things about you i mean that's great too Uh, and there's nothing wrong with uh uh, getting getting some enjoyment from a little bit of recognition but everyone has ideas right and so i think part of growing a meta is being open to what other people want to do and so, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously being like the chief organizer of a local Malifaux meta is <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody's political aspirations or, or whatever. But I guess my point is any group with people can have ego conflicts, can have personality conflicts or, or whatever. And if you are serious about building the meta, then as someone who has taken responsibility to organize it, that means it's also, you know, it's also your responsibility to try to keep it healthy. And so that means, uh, you know, being inclusive, uh, being welcoming, um, when people have ideas, uh, you know, treat them like, like your own ideas, the, the, the same way that you would go about vetting an event that you want to do, you know, you should, you should go through the exact same procedure when someone else says, hey, I think this would be a cool thing to do for a month. Um, and, and just kind of try to remember, even if you're the one who started the group, once it becomes a group, it's, it's not yours anymore. It's, it, you know, it belongs to everyone. All right. Well, uh, this episode went kind of a lot longer than I thought, especially without Jim, um, who, I mean, we can always, I think, be relied on to, uh, supply some, some good content, um, but also to eat up a, a good amount of the recording time we're trying to meet. So, <laughs> So uh, that's that's our episode on, on building a meta. Obviously, this is a topic that you could, you know, you could talk about for days and, and not cover everything. And, you know, for those of you at home who are playing the, the Other Coast drinking game, uh, we're sorry we didn't get to It Depends um, too many times. But here's one for you. Uh, you know, building your meta 
it's going to depend. It's going to depend on geography. It's going to depend on, you know, what you're interested in, what your play group is interested in, what the local meta is like. So go out there and give it your best. And we wish you all the luck. If you think we said something stupid, let us know. We love feedback. If you think something we said helps, uh, it would be fantastic to hear that too. Uh, if you want to support the channel, you know, we'd love like a like, a comment, a share, a subscribe. Any of that helps. We we play out here in Los Angeles, but we'd really like to be a part of the wider Malifaux community. And that means hearing from you guys. Uh, so whatever you would like to tell us, we'd love to hear. Um, and we also have a PayPal or Patreon and the links for those are in our show notes. So if you want to support the channel in that way, uh, that would be appreciated too. Uh, and otherwise, that'll be it for episode five of The Other Coast. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys.